interstate's jammed with gunners like me Afraid of coming in last But somewhere in the race we run We're coming undone when days go by I can feel it flying like a hand out the window in the wind The cars go by It's all we've been given So you better start living right now at about 30,000 feet. So that storm is about 30,000 feet. At, well, it's higher than that. It's actually going up to about 40,000 feet now. But the hill core itself, that purple area that you see, is what we're most concerned about. That's between Germantown and Canadaville. I'll take you back, and we'll look directly down on this cell. This uh, stretches from Crossroads now all the way to, um, this really stretches from Cordova to Crossroads to Canadaville to Eads. It's moving northeast. So again, hail likely with this cell. It doesn't look like it's as large as it was one before it moved through Germantown, but this cell does have a history of producing large hail. We also could see damaging wind, a lot of intense lightning. So just stay weather alert, stay indoors until these storms pass. They're packing a punch out there tonight, Ron. If you're just joining us, we're live on the air right now for severe weather moving through the Mid-South. A severe thunderstorm warning for Memphis and Shelby County that's going to remain now until 745. We've got a severe thunderstorm warning for Tunica County just behind that, Coahoma County, Lee and Phillips Counties, and then another one for Monroe County that's back into Arkansas outside the coverage area. But this whole cluster is moving in our direction. It's going to continue to push to the east-northeast as we get on into the evening hours. But I am impressed by what I'm seeing in the atmosphere tonight. And I do believe over the next hour or two, this is going to weaken considerably. And by 10 o'clock, we should be well in the range of safety. And I, I think our severe weather threat here in the Action News 5 coverage area will be over. But we've got to get through this little cluster that just fired up coming in out of the southwest. And there's a considerable amount of wind in there, too. As a matter of fact, let's take a look. Whoops. He uh, advanced back, and then let's take a look at some of this activity. I want to take a look at the velocity on this. The, that's the wind, the wind display. And you can see this area in blue. This is where we're seeing some of the stronger winds coming into play. This is winds that are moving toward the radar. So all these winds, the light blue, the yellow, that's moving toward the radar site. That's in Millington. All of this that you see in the magenta, the red, that's moving away from the radar site. And then this little cluster right here, that's where the stronger storms or the stronger winds with this system are coming into play tonight. And 
winds, the potential for some wind damage exists in these areas, especially where we're finding the warnings. Let's see if I can get any info on this. Take a look at what these potential wind speeds are. We think about tomorrow, and it slips away. Oh, yes, it does. We talk about forever, but we've only got today. And the days go by. I can feel them flying like a hand out the window as the cars go by. It's all we've been given, so you better start living. You better start living. Better start living right now. As days go by. it from right there around Marbell. Take a look at that. Oh yeah. We're seeing some small hail below 10,000 feet. Just see. 
Blood doesn't come with a contract You give me this, I give you that And it's scary business Your heart and soul is on the line
can't sleep Ain't no sleep a coming I'm just lying here thinking about you I'm in deep Falling deep into the picture In my mind of everything we're gonna do Over at the lake and down by the river You can feel it start to rise I wanna jump in my car Go wherever you are Cause I need you by my side It's gonna be Good evening to everyone out there listening on uh, shortwave on WBCQ. We're glad to have you. 
And I also want to thank all of our people that tune in every Tuesday night on our uh, YouTube video channel, which is called W5KUB.com. And uh, we thank you for joining with us. Hey, we're in the middle of a, you know, pretty severe storm right now. Uh, I, I, I put a little radar on here pre-show for you to see kind of what's going on here. Um, lots of rain. They're saying up to about 10 inches of, of rain per hour. Uh, lots of thunder I hear outside. It sounds like they're, they're dropping them in real close out here, so I don't know. The lady on the, uh, the news or the weather said we need to put our helmets on. So I don't know, man. I got the, I got the helmet, Kim. I guess I can go put that on. Uh, but uh, I think I'm safe in here. Uh, Glenn Popel texted me. He's out of power. Glenn is about 20 miles south uh, uh, southwest of me, and uh, he uh, he's out of power. So he may or may not join us tonight, just depending on if the power comes back on. So it's going to be kind of a tough show tonight. Um, uh, you know, if, if the power goes off here, we do have the the home generator, uh, uh, auto home generator installed here, and it will kick on in about 30 seconds. Uh, so, uh, you know, that'll keep all of our computer, well, to keep everything in the house on. Now, whether or not the internet goes down, you know, that's powered, you know, down the, down the road at different points. So, you know, they could lose power and we could lose internet. Uh, but, uh, I guess if we uh, if we did lose internet, I could bring the show up on a little uh, jetpack. I got a little uh, uh, 4G jetpack. I could probably bring the show up on, and uh, at least get something going here. So uh, anyway, hey, we're hoping we're hoping that we can run our generator tonight. Um, as I was telling Rich here, uh, the more we run on a generator, the cheaper it becomes for us. We're down now. We're down now to about five hundred dollars per hour running the generator. So. Uh, you know, we'd like to get that cost on down to a few bucks an hour. Hey, look at this, man. I, I let me let, let me put the let me switch the camera here. Look at here what I'm looking at, man. There we go. Look, I need to go get the helmet cam, put it on. But that I don't think the storm is up there yet, but it's heading that way. Wait a minute, you're uh, you're you're muted or something. There we go. Yeah, not yet, but I figured in case we get hail coming over the internet through through the iPad. I'll protect myself. Yeah, okay. Well, and, and I think you're in a basement, so you're probably in pretty good yes. shape here, right? You know, we don't have, we don't, we, in this part of the country, we don't have basements. I bet you out of every 1,000 houses uh, uh, throughout here, maybe only one has a basement. We just don't have basements here. Uh, so we have nowhere to run, really. We just, we just stand up and face it, you know, when it comes. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so hey, hey, everybody out there listening, that's listening again. Hey, if you will, hit that subscribe button. We'd like you to subscribe to our channel here. Let me help you out. That subscribe button should be right down there somewhere where I'm pointing for you. I'm helping you out there. That helps uh, helps people on YouTube find us. So uh, please, uh, please hit that. Also, join our Facebook group. We've got over thirteen or fourteen thousand. Uh, hams and shortwave listeners in our Facebook group. Uh, uh, it follows the show. Uh, it's called Amateur Radio Roundtable, or you can just type in in the Facebook search. You can just type in uh, W5KUB, and that's the same thing. It'll it'll come up there. 
So, uh, hey, do that. Um, uh, again, uh, let me mention here, we are on uh, shortwave every, uh, well, every Thursday. We're on shortwave out of uh, WBCQ up in Monticello, Maine on 7490. I don't know if they got any snow up there, but that's kind of the way it looks in the wintertime up there. Hey, we're on every podcast carrier out there, iTunes, Google Play, iNet Radio, uh, you name it, we're on it. If you just want to listen to a to a uh, audio version of the show at any time, day or night, just go to one of the podcast carriers and uh, just search for Amateur Radio Roundtable, and uh, you will find us there. Uh, let's see, what else is going on here? Uh, oh, I don't know if I mentioned or not. I did in the chat room. Maybe I did mention it. Uh, uh, Glenn, Glenn uh, is uh, unable to join right now. Glenn has a power outage. Glenn lives approximately 20 miles southwest of me, and uh, the power is power is out down there. Now, the interesting thing is, Glenn works for the power company. So I don't know why they let that go out. I, I think Glenn, if I were you, I would I would talk to your boss tomorrow when you when you go in there. That's uh, no excuses for that. All right, so, hey, if Glenn gets power back, he's going to join us. I doubt he's going to get power back during the show. It may be a short show tonight. I don't know. But, hey, let's uh, let's uh, move on here. And uh, we've got Rich with us again. This is the last uh, Tuesday in the month. And we have Rich Morrison with us. And Rich is going to talk to us again about what is coming up in CQ Magazine. So come on in here, Rich. How you doing, man? I'm doing fine. I've... Uh taking off the hard hat for uh, at least for now <laughs> we're supposed to get your storm tomorrow i may have to put it back on yeah so so if you were anybody was on the air last weekend in the cq worldwide dxcw contest i got a picture here in our calendar of stations you might have worked and just to see what's on the other side of it there this is ti7w down in costa rica oh, wow. uh, i don't know if they were on this this uh, time or not uh, propagation was pretty poor up here so uh, but cool. uh if you happen to work ti7w either this year or sometime in the past this is what's on the other end of that station that's pretty impressive i'll tell you yeah it is and uh this is our calendar which i'm yeah hold it down a little bit little, down a little bit yeah, until there, there you go there you go okay wow yeah, and it's nice. a montage of K0NEB's Dayton pictures on the cover. Oh, yeah. And uh, we've also got uh, our brand new project calendar. Oh, I like too. that. Man, I like that. Fun. Yeah. So. Uh, cool, man. They make great holiday gifts for yourself or someone else who might appreciate them. So, December issue is our holiday issue of course and our technology special and we've got i think like a dozen different articles in in the fall into the technology special category so we're really pumping them here let's see one two three four five six seven eight nine ten yep a dozen different stories and they cover the gamut from uh all sorts of different things so let's get started on that we start out with uh, an FT8 article. Oh, do you have blinders on? Getting more from FT8. And uh, it's about the proper settings on your bandpass filters 
to get the most out of your FDA um, experience. A lot of filters are much narrower than uh, what you can see on your waterfall display, and they block out a lot of signals. So this is a, a guide to uh, making sure that you have the best setting for your mm. FT8 operations to get the most possible contact on your screen there. KB0VKS has the first part of a two-part series on building your own low-voltage transformer. This is a, a great idea for your test bench, provide a low-voltage power source, and he also uses it to identify mystery transformers. Um, mm -hmm. So you can... Uh, basically use it to figure out the turns ratio, the voltage ratio. And uh, so if you have an old transformer in your junk box or you pick one up at a flea market that you don't know what the values are going in, going out, what it can handle, um, he's got guidance here on, on how to do that. Part one is building the low voltage transformer. And part two, which is going to be in our January issue, will be on using it for identifying different parameters of uh, unknown value transformer. Really interesting stuff. Falls right into that technology special category. Our good buddy Sherlock returns. He hasn't been here in a while. And he's investigating heat-related failures of the 2N222A, no, that's 2222A transistor. Uh, iconic transistor, been around forever. And uh, it's actually... It's not heat-related, it's cold-related failures, and uh, really interesting to read. If you're a builder and you use these, been around for years, good uh, thing to watch for on if you suddenly have one die on you. KBYP has a piece on called, titled, How Low Can You Go?, A8BYP's test equipment QSO. Talk about QRP. He made a contact using an RF signal generator. Um, well, not really an RF signal generator. It is a Regal arbitrary waveform generator. Mm. And he was able to make a contact with that. So <laughs> it just proves that you don't need a lot of power for having successful contacts. K3MT has an very interesting piece on S parameters made easy. Raise your hand if you know what an S parameter is. I can't see you, but that's okay. I'll bet most of you are not raising your hands. And I wouldn't have raised mine before I read this article. Um, it's uh, particularly important to understand when your signal is going to more than one place such as a, through a splitter or something like that, and uh, very educational. WA9PYH, who is a regular contributor, has a piece on building a tiny QRPP watt meter, staying in the QRP category for now. And a reminder, by the way, if, if February is our QRP special, if anyone out there has interesting project or experience relating to operating with low power, If you'd like to write an article on it, please drop me a note, and uh, we'll certainly consider it. I'm always looking for good, interesting stories and projects for our QRP special. Um, 
So this is on the tiny QRPP watt meter, which goes, well, it's very small. I'll show you a picture of it here. It'll be in color in the magazine, of course. And uh, that's, that's cool. very small. Yeah. Among our columnists, um, our emergency communications columnist, K3PFW, asks a philosophical question. Is technology your friend or your downfall? And uh, it's... Uh, an interesting think piece for technology and communication meeting in the middle. KL7AJ in Analog Adventures writes about bridging the gap, and he's about an RLC bridge and a couple of other bridge circuits. So that's uh, Eric's column for this month. A0NEB in kit building is starting out a build of the new T41 uh, software-defined radio kit. Uh, it's designed by our own microcontrollers editor, W-A-T-E-E, and uh, his partner, Al Peter, A-C-H-E-Y. So it's uh, a uh, full-featured 20-watt SDR-based transceiver color display, so it's, it's not a little tiny bare bones kit this is a big deal and uh joe is working on building it and he's uh got part one in the december issue here and we'll he'll be tracking it as uh, we move along over the next few months in our qrp column we actually talk about antennas got <laughs> k8sma is uh titled Fishing for a Portable QRP Antenna. And uh, he's, uh, I believe, using a good fishing pole for uh, antenna. Actually, it's, uh, well, you got to read it to see it. It's, it's not, not a fishing pole. It's in, kind of an inverted V or an uninverted V or something like that. <laughs> Interesting piece. Um, on the topic of antennas, we have our antennas column. Uh, WA5VJB takes us up into the UHF and microwave bands with a piece on slot antennas, which is really interesting about how it signals basically your, you know, the slot antenna is kind of the inverse of a Yagi. If you've got a Yagi, you have a lot of space around and elements of aluminum that uh, carry the signal. In a slot antenna, you have a lot of metal with holes in the middle, uh, at, and that's what creates your antenna directivity, gain, etc. So, very, very interesting stuff. I find myself saying very, very interesting about almost every article. That's, that's what I love about this job, is I learn so much from getting the these articles in and the columns, and just being able to share that with our readers is, is really great. Back to the issue, another antenna in VHF Plus. We have an antenna project for 1296 megahertz. A quick and cheap omni antenna. Uh, W1GHZ has uh, put that together and uh, has offered that up to N4DTF to include in this column this month. And uh, Trent also writes about a VHF, VHFer's holiday gift list. So if you're a VHF operator and you're still thinking about what to get, Take a look at Trent's column. 
Now, you'd think that was the whole magazine, but it's not. It's only about half. We've got a whole bunch of other stories, too. We've got two stories coming out of Hurricane Ian. Um, NL7XM writes about a QCWA chapter down in uh, the Florida Keys that packed up four truckloads of bottled water and took them over to the West Coast after Hurricane Ian to hand out to Hams and their neighbors in uh, the stricken area there. And uh, we've got a short photo essay about some Ukrainian hams getting back on the air. The photos here are of uh, kids at a school station. And uh, they're back in school and back on the air. So very glad to hear about that. We've got a few different de-expedition stories. We've got uh, WB2REM and K5PA have a article titled, So You Want to Go on a De-Expedition? And this isn't about any particular de-expedition. This is about planning one, if you want to make a trip like that yourself. A very, very helpful piece for anyone thinking of operating from a faraway place. You know, holiday-style de-expeditions are really getting more popular in addition to these massive 20-person, $2 million de-expeditions. A growing number of people are, are packing a small radio with them and the antenna and uh, just getting on the air from a variety of maybe not quite so difficult places to get to around the world. I mean, we've got the 3Y0J expedition coming up to Bouvet uh, in January. Uh, this is not about those kinds of de-expeditions. This is about the kind of de-expedition that one person can do on their own and all the planning steps you need to do it. In honor of de-expeditions and it being the December issue, our CQ Classic this month is on another de-expedition. This is from 1976. Um, and uh, it's the VK9XX de-expedition to Christmas Island. So what better time to run it than in our December issue? And in our DX column, we have our third de-expedition story on JW0A up in Svalbard. So that's a really interesting place. I remember uh, my friend Nathaniel W2NAF, when he was a graduate student, spent... Uh, several weeks up in Svalbard, maybe even several months, and uh, had a great time operating from there, as well as doing his ionospheric research, which led to the creation of HAMSI. We also have our uh, announcement for the 2023 nominations being open for the CQ Amateur Radio DX and Contest Halls of Fame. Uh, the nominating period opens January 1st and ends March 1st. If you know someone who has really gone above and beyond in terms of DXing or contesting, and not just that they've worked the whole world four times over, but they have to have made a major contribution to the art and or sport of DXing and contesting as well. On the Amateur Radio Hall of Fame, we're looking to honor hams who have made major contributions either to the hobby or to other aspects of, of life on the planet, um, or non-hams who have made major contributions to amateur radio, either directly or indirectly. So take a look at the criteria in our 
January issue, I mean, December issue. And if you think of someone who you think deserves to be honored in the Hall of Fame, send in a nomination by December, by uh, March 1st. We've also got the rules for the WPX Riddy contest going up in February. And what is becoming a tradition for us in our December issue, the periodic table of select amateur radio contests. This is something really cool that Tim Choppa, M3QE, our contesting editor, puts together uh, every year. And he picks one contest per weekend to highlight and uh, puts together. It looks like a periodic table. And that's the idea. Um, whether it's, uh, and he has it marked off as whether it's CW, single sideband, digital, multi-mode, VHF, UHF. And uh, it's uh, a really, really cool feature that uh, we've been, this is our third year in a row of running that. Among our other columns, uh, for you shortwave listeners, we've got our listening post column as always. And uh, this month, Jerry Dexter talks about uh, the <clears throat> some troubles that the stations in the South Pacific seem to be having. And uh, Radio Vanuatu is having trouble. Solomon Island Broadcasting has problems. These are um, transmitter problems more than anything else. And uh, so that's always good, plus our logs. We invite anybody who is a shortwave listener to please uh, send in logs of, of what you're hearing and where and uh, you know what frequency what programming is etc we want to get more and more logs in we finally wrap up with uh, two articles on propagation learning curve editor ko0z has a column on space weather and dx and propagation editor nw7us has a introduces a term you, you may not have heard of before. It was new to me, too, called the coronal veil. And he asked whether the sun's magnetic arches are an optical illusion. <clears throat> so something very interesting to read there. And those are just the highlights. There's still a whole lot more wow. that I didn't get to here. So we've got a Yes, it's just full of, of really fascinating information this month. And, uh, oh, and of course, the most exciting feature of all, the whole issue, is our annual index in the back. <laughs> Which may not be that exciting, but it is very useful, particularly if you remember seeing an article. Oh, yeah, sometime, sometime last year there was an article about blah, blah, blah. I get questions like this all the time from people. And uh, having that index handy makes it much easier to look up and find out which issue and which page it was on and who wrote it. So <clears throat> those are the highlights of our December issue. They are in the mail. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me one second. My voice seems to be going away here. Um, the print edition is in the mail. The digital editions will be in your... Uh, libraries on Zinio on December 1st. And uh, we still have our subscription special going on, the same one we had last month, or an extra issue per year. Instead of 12, 24, or 36 issues, 
you can sign up for 13, 26, or 39 issues for the same prices as the uh, 12, 24, and 36. Good opportunity to uh, get a new or renewed subscription and uh, tack on a few extra months for free, particularly on the three-year. And that's uh, you can get all the information on that at our website, www.cq amateur-radio.com. And that's about it for this issue. I'm keep deep in January already and uh, looking forward to what we're going to uh, bring you. All right. Well, there were some questions. There were questions in the chat room. Where did the name Breadboard come from? Sure. And I think people answered the question pretty pretty good there. You know, I want to show you something. Yeah. You got a breadboard there? Second. I've got a breadboard. I've got two. But I've got one in the project calendar right here on the cover. Um, that is a oh, breadboard. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> definitely, that's definitely the breadboard right there. Yep. yep. And uh, this is uh, Bill Mankiewicz, W4, what is I forget his call. Um, let me find the month that that's in. Um, he's, he's going on to do a whole lot more than that. Here we go. Uh, W4FSV. The, uh, this is a 200-milliwatt CW transmitter that Bill built uh, in 2010 around a few 2N2222 transistors, the same ones we talk about uh-huh. failing <laughs> this issue. And uh, he said, launched him on a decade plus of very low-power fun, and he says the uh, excitement has not waned over time. So uh, that's it, – it, the – I've got a little wooden, hang on one second, I'll be, grab this, go into the dark here. This isn't quite a breadboard because it would be a very small loaf of bread. But here is a little transmitter built on a piece of wood. Cool. Get it in front of the camera there. There you go. Um, This is a a 40 meter transmitter built from, uh, and kit that we featured oh years and years ago here oh yeah um not not that many years ago probably about 15 though and uh i've never put it on the air but it's very cool to look at but you know basically in the early days of of radio building a lot of the you know we had, had discrete components like this and they were just built onto a block of wood uh nobody knew about shielding or uh you know any of the other problems that you might have by having open air circuits so mm-hmm. everything was just out in the open and built on on a piece of wood and a very common piece of wood to use was a wooden cutting board and uh, that's where the breadboard came from well it was so much fun back in the early days building that equipment and using it it, it was just it was it was a lot of fun i still still think back to those times you know nowadays instead of breadboards the wooden breadboards, uh, what a lot of people are doing, they're just taking sheets of uh, copper-clad board and just soldering parts on top. You know, any any part that mm-hmm. would go to ground, you just solder it to the uh, to the uh, uh, copper uh, cover there mm-hmm. and let the parts just kind of stand up and hook to each other, which which works out very well too. So, uh, yeah, that's the pretty, um, pretty good. I think it's the called the Pittsburgh style of construction uh, coming from. 
Pittsburgh, Kansas, not Pennsylvania. And you, you basically are gluing um, little pieces of circuit board onto a blank sheet of circuit board, which serves as your, as your ground plane, and then connecting the components between the little pads that you glued into place. And it's, it's really quite similar to the point-to-point construction that yeah. uh, we, we did back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Um, I've, got, I've got some of those pads that you're talking about right here. Uh, you break, I, I use them just to breadboard on, but uh, these are the little pads he's talking about. They'll break yeah. off. They, they'll, they'll break off <clears> really <throat> easy. And then you just glue yeah. these little pads down uh, on your circuit yeah. board and insulated from the uh, the ground plane. And you right. just you just use so. these as connectors to solder your parts on. But the mm-hmm. uh, the, the thing I was talking about, uh, I'm sure the people in uh, New York probably have a different name for it. I always knew it as Manhattan-style uh, building where, you know, you stand the parts up and solder them to a the thing. But right. uh, regardless, it's, it's all the same. So... Uh, that's uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, I think Manhattan yeah. style is is usually done on a regular printed circuit board. Yeah, yeah. Parts yeah. vertical rather uh, than yeah, horizontal, yeah. and the Pittsburgh is using the pads. Um, ah, okay. In addition, okay. Yeah, I've, I've got a project here. I should be able to find that uses the pads. I can show you people what. Uh, yeah, I've I've built here. something using these little pads. You can see them right there again. Each little pad will break off, and you glue it down. See, and you glue, yeah, you glue that little pad down, that little square down on the circuit board, and that becomes a terminal. Let's see what here you we got go. This here. is a, a variable bandwidth filter with an audio amplifier, and you see the little pads that are yeah. soldered yep. onto the. Uh, circuit under the it's not really circuit board it's pc board material it's all copper clad board and so they're, they're insulated from it and each of the components is soldered to uh the pads you so know the interesting thing about that I, don't, I haven't heard anybody talk about it, but this is the interesting thing about that each of those pads actually becomes a capacitor I, I, I need to try to i need to put one together and see if i can measure it and see what the value is probably pretty low but well, yeah, it's it, not it, enough to conduct. So yeah, yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. And since it's going to ground, it probably well, who knows what it would do? I was going to say it wouldn't probably probably wouldn't conduct enough to bleed down a, like an RF signal or something like that, or an audio signal for sure. But yeah, I built a, a few projects with that, but um, uh, haven't haven't done any of those lately. So hey, very good. Uh, thank you for coming uh, in here with us tonight and uh, letting us know what's, what's coming up next week in uh, CQ and and uh, looking forward to getting the magazine and seeing. Uh, Always fun to do it and yeah, fun to talk about other stuff too. So yeah, uh, let's see. I, I want to wish notes. everybody. I hope everyone had a, a very happy Thanksgiving and uh, since uh, let's see, the end of December is going to be the 27th so let me wish everybody in advance a very merry christmas and uh happy hanukkah and kwanzaa if you celebrate depending on what you celebrate and uh whatever you do enjoy it and uh bring some light 
into the darkness, which is what all of these holidays are about. All right. Well, very good, man. Hey, thank you so much for being with us. Stick around if you want to for a while. If you need to leave, uh, just go ahead and leave. But uh, you're welcome okay. to stay with us. We'll see you next month. All right. Thank you. We'll see you yep. next month or earlier in case you want to come on. Okay. Okay. All right. All right, so we will be back here in just a second, guys. Keep your competitive contesting edge with ICOM. ICOM's high-powered base stations cut through the pileups, letting you work the bands and record those contacts. Contest from the comfort of your home or remotely with the RS-BA1 app. The IC7851 gives you a new window into the RF world and is HF excellence unparalleled with faster processors, higher input gain, higher display resolution, and a cleaner signal is truly the pinnacle of HF perfection. It has dual receivers, digital IF filters, high resolution spectrum waterfall. The IC7610 is a direct sampling software defined radio that has changed the world's definition of an SDR transceiver. Features include RF direct sampling, 110 dB RMDR, independent dual receivers. Create your own band opening with the IC9700. This transceiver brings direct sampling to the UHF VHF weak signal world. This all mode transceiver is loaded with innovative features that are sure to keep you very busy. It has fast processors, higher input gain, higher display resolution, and a cleaner signal. Included are real-time high-speed spectrum scope and waterfall display, smooth satellite operation with 99 satellite channels, dual watch operation, and full duplex operation in satellite mode. The IC7300 is the high-performance innovative HF transceiver with a compact design, and it will far exceed your expectations. This innovative HF transceiver digitizes RF before various receiver stages, reducing inherent noise in different IF stages. The IC7300 changed the way entry-level HF is designed. Features include RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, a large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope. For more information on ICOM radios, visit www.icomamerica.com amateur. All right, we uh, should be back, and let's see. I was looking at the chat room earlier, a couple questions here. Hey, Brett has to replace a really flea-sized 2N222A surface mount, I think, in his SGC tuner. And, uh, you know, the past three years, we've been doing a lot of surface mount stuff, you know, building our own little trackers here. And all that's using 402, 02, 0402 parts, which are which are pretty small, probably about half the size of a flea, maybe even smaller. I don't know. Anyway, hey, there you know a couple ways you can take that off, Brett. Uh, someone mentioned a, a, a hot air a hot air. Yeah, you can use that, but you got to be very careful if you if especially when you have parts real close, you use that hot air. It's not only going to remove that part, but it's going to remove other parts. And sometimes it even removes parts on the other side of the board. So you got to be real careful there. Uh, I would suggest just to remove it. Take you something like an X-Acto knife, you know, something like that. Something with a sharp point. I don't know if you got any, like, little dental uh, picks or anything. And just uh, try to stick it under that transistor. 
and heat one side up with a soldering iron and just lift it up. And then you can actually grab that, that transistor with a pair of little tweezers and you can heat the other side and it'll come right off. And uh, there, uh, it, it, it should be pretty easy to put the part back on. Just get it in position, tack one side, and uh, uh, and then once you get it in position kind of like you want it, just then go ahead and solder the other two leads. So you'll get it. I'm sure you will. Hey, you know, we were talking about shortwave a few minutes ago. Um, I, I I found out something. I didn't realize it, but uh, WTWW went off the air. And uh, I don't have any personal knowledge of it. I think I read on, on I just did a search on the Internet, maybe Wikipedia. Uh, appears to be some type of fallout, I guess, from their engineers and the people that own the station. So, um, uh that uh oh, how do i say that that employee arrangement uh no longer exists so i i think wtww will be coming back on here you know that's a religious station a religious station owns wtww and uh i think uh ted has been he had he had a show uh a, a regular show on there uh when wtww wasn't being used for the religious owners he would put on a uh, QSO show or play uh, oldies music there. So uh, I think it just got too expensive for the uh, for the owners because you know you hey, you take I, a five hundred. I've got a little bit of insight on that. Oh, do you, you take a five hundred thousand yeah. watt transmitter? I would imagine electricity is more than ten dollars an hour, man. Yeah, what what do you, what do you know about it, uh, Rich? Uh, yeah, we're going to be covering our January news bites. Um, Basically, it, it was a, a financial decision uh, by the owners that uh, continuing to run the transmitter in the studios was uh, too expensive, and so they moved all their programming to streaming only. Um, Ted and, and the DJs who did the musical stuff with him have all moved over to uh, WRMI and are going to be, uh, they're probably already on there, but they're uh, transported all their programming over there and uh so i think they're calling themselves wrmi legends and uh so they will uh, continue to do ted's ham radio program and the musical programs over on uh, wrmi yeah i think you're already i think he, i think he's already on wrmi i believe that's already happening yeah, but I kind of got caught by surprise. I, I I don't know how long when this happened. I guess maybe a few weeks ago. Yeah, I think it was uh, basically the beginning of this month. Oh, okay. Um, well, you know, hey, I, I, again, I, I always wondered about the cost of running a, a five hundred thousand watt station. You know, the electricity. I mean. Guys, they don't have just one ten or two twenty running into that building. They got some, they they got some massive stuff running in there, man. It looks like a power distribution for the state that comes into the building. You know, it, they use a lot of electricity. So, speaking of WRMI, they got some uh, antenna damage from uh, Hurricane Nicole, and oh, yeah. uh, it took a couple of their transmitters down for a while. I think they're. Uh, back up now but i think their 41 meter uh antennas were damaged and uh i think they're back on i'm not sure but uh the, those are the only ones that 
suffered significant damage was the 41 meter antennas yeah yeah you know um it's kind of funny um i've had hams talking about nasty questions they've got the they've got this uh they got them a transceiver now you know i don't want transceiver and then they probably got them amplifier but and then uh, they've got it modified for out of band and they want to know what it would take for them to put on a shortwave station to use that. You know, how can they get their license? And uh, it's just going to take a whole lot more ump than a ham transceiver to put on a shortwave station, guys. It's, you know, you can put on a shortwave station and, you, you know, three or four people may hear you, you know, a few different places, but that's going to be it, man. You know, you need that, you need that high power, you need those big antennas. And uh, you need a lot of electricity if you want to get out. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, we already talked about Brett and his two and two two. Or his, yes, two and two and two 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 two. You know, I think we're flying right now on one of our balloons on W five KB one thirteen. I've got a hundred milliwatt PA uh, amplifier running on one thirteen right now. And uh, I think it was a 2N2222A uh, transistor. And uh, it's been operating just great. And, you know, it right now at, at 48,000 feet, you know, it's about minus 40, minus 50 uh, Celsius up there. So we haven't had any trouble with it. Uh, I was a little worried about it because we've never flown one of those before. You know, I just threw it together and stuck in air. And, you know, I, I, I hate for a balloon to be flying for four or five months and the transmitter will be off you just don't know where it is you know and you know hey that brings me to another point hey guys if you've been following uh w5 kub 112 we're hitting we're hitting this coming week it will be flying 180 days 180 days and uh it's very impressive it's it's been everywhere man it's been uh it's been up uh in in the arctic it's been everywhere, and uh, sometimes it goes and hides in the Arctic up there for maybe a couple weeks, and then it'll pop back out. But uh, right now, it's kind of inching north uh, toward Alaska, out on the Pacific out there. And uh, as it gets a little bit higher and higher out there, we get less and less daylight. So some days we may not get but one or two transmissions from it. Uh, let's see. I've got uh, – let me see if I can – Put something else up here. Let me see. That's our that's our weather we're experiencing right now. The uh, here we go. Okay, guys, just give you a report here on see if I can make this work here. Yeah, you want to look at our balloons that are flying in Antarctica. This is what we got going here. This is what Todd launched for us. He launched the, he's doing a uh, scientific research program down in Antarctica with the German station there and launched about nine balloons. Uh, they're all K, uh, uh, K4UAH, which is the University of Alabama Huntsville. If you look right here, you'll see two other balloons. There's W5KUB114. Um, 
and it's flying right now at 47 miles an hour. It's at 37,000 feet. And then our other one is over here uh, that was launched in Antarctica, and it's at 12 miles an hour at about 36,000 feet. We're not getting a lot of altitude down there because we uh, we uh, use helium. That's going to give us less altitude. Plus, I think the uh, 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 barometric pressure and some other things uh, uh, probably are limiting us. Plus, we're flying pretty heavy. We uh, The ones that we built up to send down there were pretty heavy, and we did that on purpose because what we normally fly uh, uh, comes in around, you know, uh, 7 grams total. That includes all the solar panels, the 20-meter antenna, the tracker, everything. 7 grams, that's a little more than a nickel. Uh, but uh, it's very fragile, and we were afraid it would get broken going down. And, you know, uh, I, I couldn't see Todd repairing it down there with the winds blowing, you know, 50 miles an hour in a, in a whiteout. So... Anyway, so we uh, we use some different solar panels, and uh, we um, uh, came in pretty heavy, almost at 20 grams. So one tracker we're flying, the uh, the 114, has a horizontal panel, very small, single. Well, I got a picture of it here, uh, single single panel, very heavy. Uh, 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 solar uh, cell right there. The tracker is actually glued on the bottom side of that. That's that's the entire thing right there, and um, that uh, that came in just a little under twenty grams. We like to fly under ten grams, but anyway, it's it's up in the air and it's flying and it's it's doing pretty good. Uh, with, with the horizontal panel, we need we need at least twenty degrees elevation of the sun. For it to come on and work, and uh, so that's limiting us. Uh, uh, you know, we've got to wait for the sun to get up 20 degrees high before it comes on. This is another one we, we sent up here, and it, uh, it carries the call uh, 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 KD9UQB uh, or W5KUB115, and this was a uh, uh, round. We this is three. Uh, 100 milliwatt panels we put in a circular for, form and this is picking up the sun off the sides and it's actually picking up the sun at about two degrees two degrees elevation so you know our other ones pick, won't pick pick up and start until about 20 degrees this one's picking up and starting right about uh, sunrise and it'll operate just about until sundown so that one's doing pretty good so both of those are uh, flying down here right now and in uh, Antarctica, uh, and then uh, let's see. Our, I think I mentioned the other two. Well, the other two we've got flying here were. Um, well, one has crossed into one has crossed Texas. Let's see if I can bring it up right here. There we go. One has crossed uh, uh, Texas, and uh, it's kind of heading toward Louisiana right there. I only heard from it once yesterday. I don't know what's going on with it. That's the 100 milliwatt one right there. It's flying at about 83 miles per hour, and uh, it's at 46,700 feet. It will be finishing the the, the, the uh, finish line here for, I think it's uh, lap three or lap four of this one. This has only been up about 30-something days. 
If we look at uh, 114, no, 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 112 right here. 112 right now, 52 miles per hour is at 47,000. So it's been fluctuating in altitude from 47,000 to about 50,000. When we originally launched it, we were flying at 51,000. So uh, that was just some, some great altitude there. We think uh, this one's starting to get a little north right up here, and, and we get low sun. When you get up here, you get low sun. Uh, so we're going to see what happens here. Uh, so that's where we are on uh, our flights. And, uh, okay, so you got an update on our flights here. You know, uh, everybody knows we're trying to get our satellite station back together. And uh, so I've got a working station here. Last week you guys heard it. I think I played a little clip here. You heard uh, the audio through the uh, International Space Station and some of the satellites. Uh, here is the, let's see. Yeah, I'm just going to click on. This is going to take you over to the satellite system. There's a, there's this, uh, there's our satellite system right now, and this this program is called uh, Sat Sat PC32, and it is free program. You can see there; those are actually satellites. Those circles are actually satellites there that are that are moving, and if you watch it long enough, you'll see they're they're actually moving. So, this is a pretty neat program. It tells you uh, when you're going to come over and at what uh, you know, what azimuth, what elevation, and so forth. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm using just manual turned antennas. I got a, a, a 440 and a 2-meter Yagi outside uh, with uh, a uh, just a regular azimuth rotor, and I've got an elevation rotor. So two different rotors. So as I make a contact, I have to work two rotors and, you know, turn one left or right and the other one up or down, you know, to try to stay track of the satellite. But the satellite's not moving that fast, and uh, that is, uh, you know, it's, it's starting to work out pretty good for us. So there's something new coming up here for satellite, and I'm really interested in trying this out. Let me show you what I'm talking about here. Uh, so someone contacted me. And told me I should try this. And uh, let me see if I can pull it up. Yeah, I'm going to pull this up and show you something. I was not aware of this product out here. And I, sh I should be, one is being shipped to me. I should get it any day. And here it is. It's called, it's called SAT. S-A-T. Right there. And, uh. What it is, it's a self-contained satellite system. And uh, if you want to go to their web page, you, you can go to it at um, csnsat, csnsat.com. Now, hey, the nice thing about this is it will plug directly into my uh, IC9700 radio. And it, it requires no... The other, all the other programs I've had, I've had to uh, configure uh, COM ports and USB ports to control everything, and you know the computer controls the radio and all that. 
Well, everything is controlled in this one little box right here, I think. I hadn't got it yet, but people are telling me that are getting on satellite that um, that after they get this box and they open it up, they're on the air and working satellites in 15 minutes. And what it it, it, just, it basically does everything. It, it updates all the satellite files. It, it tells you which satellites are coming over. You can... You can tell it which ones you want to try to follow. Uh, there are graphics that uh, show you where the satellite is, where the rotor is, and so forth. Uh, all this comes out of that one little box there that just plugs into the CIV port of the radio. And then you take, like, your laptop. You take your laptop, and you just connect to this little box. has its own little Wi-Fi uh, access point in it and you just connect uh, with your laptop to this little box and your own satellite basically and it controls your radio it uh, it uh, uh, controls the frequencies as the satellite moves it changes the frequencies due to doppler shift and so forth both the uplink and downlink uh, and um, uh, it even controls your rotor now They've got a design here where it plugs into one of the Yezu uh, G5500 rotors. I don't have a G55 rotor. I thought about buying one, but I'm having enough fun just manually turning my antenna. The G5500 rotor cost about $800. And I really didn't want to put $800 into a rotor system right now. Now, I'm being told by them that there's another rotor system out there called PST Rotator. Now, I've looked, but I haven't found the information good yet. But this PST Rotator system is supposed to interface this unit to many other rotors. I don't know how it does it, but uh, the easiest way is to take the DIN cable and plug it directly into your uh, G5500 Yezu rotor, but, you know. I'm not going to do it right now. So I'm going to get this in the next couple of days. Uh, and I'm going to set it up and we'll do, uh, we'll do some videos and we'll do some uh, segments on it. How easy this is set up and how well it works satellites. Again, knowing that I'm going to have to manually uh, turn my antennas, azimuth and elevation, you know. Uh, but that's what I'm doing now. So not, not a big deal. And then at some point, at some point, I may uh, I may get that rotor where I can just plug directly in, you know, and then I don't have to touch anything. It just the, the antennas just follow the satellite, and you know uh, that's it there. Let's see. I'm gonna look at the chat room here and see if uh, what's going on here. Oh, let's see, Bill Brown. Bill Brown, I think, is wanting to join us. Get Bill in here. Let me check the chat room here real quick. Let's see. Uh, yeah, EI2 IP, uh, set PC32, great piece of software. Have it connected. Uh, it works well. Uh, I understand that is the gold standard. The, the people here in my area say, uh, set PC32 is the gold standard. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of interfacing and hooking up and, you know, a lot of things that you got to kind of understand and, and do. Uh, uh, the thing about this SAT, this SAT is it comes in a box. 
it's all in a box and uh, it's supposed to work. You plug it in and this thing's going to work. Maybe it's just a minor configuration, but no com ports, nothing like that. And, uh, you know, it's going to be fun trying something different. Uh, back years ago, uh, another program that was very popular was called Orbitron. And I used to use Orbitron many years ago uh, for satellite. Let's see. Uh, yeah, I, I don't understand what the PST rotor does for me, uh, EI2IP. I'm told somehow that will control my my non-Yezu rotors. I, I don't know. I'm looking at their website. It just looks like software. I don't I, I don't see how it connects to uh, to the rotors. Maybe I'm just totally wrong on this, uh, but uh, I'm hoping that there may be uh, another way to interface, uh, you know, this uh, this SAT to my rotors that I have. Uh, if not, I'll uh, work them manually, or I will. Um, I'll, I'll I'll buy a Yezu rotor. I think Bill joined us. Is Bill here? Bill, you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I, I hear you, man. <clears throat> Y'all got any bad yeah, weather? Um, Has the bad weather got to you yet? Oh, yeah. It was hard to get an internet connection because <clears throat> I have to use a cell tower link, and uh, the rain was so heavy, it just didn't get, I wasn't able to connect. Yeah, so, it was, uh, hey, uh, they were saying it was coming down 10, 10 inches per minute here uh, earlier. T 10 inches of, no, yeah. No, 10 inches an hour, I think. That's what it was. I not, have not, not seen this much rain here in probably a couple of years all yeah. at once. It was pretty severe. We had a lot of uh, a, a lot of rain. Uh, it's, I heard some wind out there. Uh, there's been a lot of reports of uh, some fairly large hail uh, that has fallen in the area. And let's see, what else? Oh, uh, there's a number of trees that have blown over. Of course, when it gets wet, these trees just fall over. You know, it's not didn't take much to uh, uh, push these trees well, over. Uh, did Did you get a chance to use your generator? You know, I'm sitting here. Glenn Glenn's out of power down here in Olive Branch. I mean, uh, 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 yeah, Olive Branch. He's out of power, so he said he'll try to join if he gets power. But uh, no, I'm. I was hoping. I was hoping that the generator would kick on here and we'd have electricity. Of course. My neighbor would call me, and I'd have to run an extension cord over to his house. Uh, but uh, um, I keep the extension cord cold up out there by my garage door. So uh, yeah, if I'm not KUB here, power company. Yeah, if, if I'm not here, he can just grab that hundred foot number twelve extension cord and pull it over his house, and he can plug a few things in. You know. So how much do you charge for? Uh, yeah, so far I hadn't charged him anything, but but right now the generator we're down to about five hundred bucks an hour on the generator. Wow. So, you know, I was really hoping for an outage tonight where we could, you know, run the generator at least maybe another hour, bring that cost down about four hundred bucks an hour each time we each time we use it, it it gets cheaper and cheaper. There you go. Yeah. Well that'll come in handy, uh and when these get these storms in the spring. This is a little unusually late in the season for bad weather like this. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's coming down again. I've got another wave coming through. Yeah, 
it's uh it finally got quiet here i wasn't sure you know hey i could keep us on the air here with a home generator but i can't keep the internet connection on if they lose power you know three or four miles down the road so but i right. I, I have before been able to take a uh, my little jetpack like my verizon jetpack and uh i i can bring the show up you know on a, on a lesser that, that's what i'm using yeah. for my main internet connection is is a, a MiFi unit yeah a, yeah like a jetpack that that's the only way i can get internet out here yeah until, until such time as they get starlink or the fiber that they put out here about four months ago but it could be another year before they hook that up uh, and get it running oh yeah then i'll then i'll be uh be uh jetting along hey i just want to let you know they launched the uh last two uh whisper balloons from okay. antarctica today this morning all right uh, one of them looks like it may have developed a leak i'm not sure or just picked up some ice yeah uh, because it went to float altitude and then it started slowly coming down oh so, man that's uh that's uh, a that terrible a 20 meter one that's k4 uah-5 yeah and then uh wb4 elk-7 um it's on 10 meters okay cool so, uh, and i'm using a qrp labs uh a little module that I added a 4.2 volt regulator and some solar panels. And, yeah. And uh, that one, uh, I'm very curious to see how it does on the 10 meter band. Uh, apparently it wasn't open today down to the South Pole, but uh, be looking for that and on 10 meter band and see, see if you see anything. Well, I'm going to start playing with... Uh some uh, new setup here in this next few days or a week or so. I'm going to try. I'm going I'm to I'm play with the dual transmission, 20 meters and 10. You know, maybe maybe 20 on 2 and 4 and 10 on 6 and 8 minutes or something like that. I don't know. What do you think about yeah, that? that? That'll work. Um, the... Uh, um, I think uh, the 15 meter band is a good one too. Uh, it's open more than 10, but you'll get some super long propagation for low power as compared to 20 meters. Although I have to say that uh, all of these transmitters that are flying in south in the South Pole right now, um, three of them are just a few hundred miles from the exact South Pole. One is kind of heading right towards it. Uh, I think it's only about three or four hundred miles from the exact South Pole. Um, that one on the right, uh, K4UQH-2, I think it is. Anyways, the uh, um, it's in uh, total sunlight now. In fact, several yeah. of them are, and some of them are operating almost 24 hours a day. So uh, it's it's pretty pretty neat propagation. They're getting a lot of gray line pop propagation, uh, particularly yours, year one, um, which is W5KUB-115 that was launched a few days ago. Um, that one um, with your circular cylinder yeah. uh, arrangement of solar panels, uh, 
that one's getting down to about one degree solar elevation. So I'm seeing a lot of gray line po- propagation right at sun sunrise and sunset with that one. And yeah. we're getting all kinds of reports um, on these low power transmissions. I mean, we're talking uh, for your transmitters that are around 11 milliwatts. Yep, yep. And uh, uh, the... Uh, my sky trackers are 25 milliwatts and they uh, are being received all over the United States and Europe and uh, Norway and at that uh, on opposite side of the world reception some of them are completely on the opposite side uh, Alaska even so um, it's just phenomenal the low power propagation from the South Pole um, it's really, really amazing just how far they're getting. So if you have a, a beam antenna or some sort of directional antenna that can point towards Antarctica, listen on 20-meter whisper and also a 10-meter whisper and see if you pick these up. Uh, uh, it is quite doable. It probably requires a little bit of gain on your end to pick them up, but... Uh, I know N4XWC, uh, Shane here's got a um, six-element beam on 20 meters. He's got a lot of reception reports from almost all of the uh, transmitters, and he's right here in Alabama. So it's a fun uh, fun thing to listen for and since they're all up there. Uh, we've got uh, currently um, nine of them were launched, and uh, we've got six of them flying on the whisper bands. I mean, I'm sorry, seven. Seven of them are flying on the whisper bands. Yeah, there's an example of uh, of, of uh, some of the reception reports that are being uh, being received. Now, this one... Well, actually, that, that looks like yours. Yeah, this yours. one is the... This is this got the 100 milliwatt PA on it. Um, yeah, that's uh, dash 113. Uh yes. So I've been comparing so it. I, I've been comparing Australia. it to the other one, and it it does look like it's getting to more stations. So I guess the power is helping a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. So, but they're all in the air now, um, and like I say, I think we had one one failure, and that's out of uh, uh, nine total launches which is pretty phenomenal yeah what's the call sign again of the uh, uh whisper uh of the balloon on whisper 10 meter uh whiskey bravo four victor hotel foxtrot on whisper band yep and on aprs it's whiskey bravo four echo lima kilo dash seven okay so, so you can go to aprs.fi yeah. and um, amateur.sondhub.org and see those. 10 meter day before VHF, right? VHF? Uh, Whiskey Bravo 4, Victor Hotel Foxtrot. Yeah, that's a good call. 10 meter whisper. Call. The other one is Kilowatt 4 United, a UAH 5. And its whisper call sign is Kilowatt Mike 4, Yankee Hotel India. But I'd I'm not hopeful for it showing up when the sun comes back on it. 
but it'll probably show up if it does show up it'll probably be around uh, two in the morning our time central time that you'll see it so i'm hoping that it just picked up a little ice and that not going to go completely down to the ground. I just, I just uh, try to bring up uh, VHF, VHF on on ten meters. I don't yeah. see it. I don't see it yet. Well, you have to uh, go back uh, twenty four hours on the database. Oh, uh, okay. It's, it's it's more than twenty four hours. I, I'm just looking at the map. Uh, on the map, I had oh. the map. Let's see. I had the map set for twenty four hours. Well, if you put it on the map, but make sure the map's on 10 meters. Yeah, it is. I'm on 10 meters, WB4. Is that right? Yeah, WB4, VHF, 10 meters. And whiskey Bravo 4. Yeah. yeah, yeah, 10 meters, 24 hours, and I'm not seeing it. So maybe it's been more than 24 hours. Um, no. Go, go uh, zoom in on Antarctica. You're probably. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Let me. You're right next yeah, to the yeah, deep, let me, let me, station. Yeah, I'm probably too. I'm, I'm not zoomed in. Hang on. Hang on. Yeah, it's down there. It's just yeah. not getting out past Antarctica. It's okay. only being received from the launch site. But that little dot there, that's where the Delta Papa Zero Golf Victor Nancy. Um, um, that's where their AP, uh, where their whisper site is yeah, for the yeah. new mayor, uh, three station. And, uh, so that's, that's the launch site right there. Well, I don't see it. I don't see it, but that don't mean it isn't there. I'm on 10 meters. You, you have to zoom way in on the, uh, on the position report there. To zoom in, you had to hit control. And yeah. I'll see you know, because they're almost right on top of each other. Oh, on oh, on top of each other. I got you. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. That's the reason I'm not seeing it. Right there. Here we go. The band uh, hasn't been... Uh, there you go. The yeah, band yeah. hasn't been... Uh, there wasn't 10-meter propagation from the South Pole today. So, uh, But listen for it in the next hmm. couple of days, and hopefully we'll get some 10-meter signal reports. So yeah. it's a, it'll be a fun experiment. <laughs> You know, you've got me thinking now. Instead of instead of instead of ten meters, maybe I should try twenty and fifteen. Um, yeah, fifteen has been a real uh, real good band lately. It's it's open more often than ten. Yeah, uh, but when ten is open, it is wide open. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, the nice advantage to ten meters is the antenna is half the length, so. Uh, Todd reported it was a lot easier to launch uh, by one, you know, with one person. Yeah. So I guess I I'll use a multi-band, probably a trapped antenna, 20 and 15. You could make a little trapped yeah. dipole. Yeah, yeah. I'll get a little straw. I'll get me a straw and wind me a few turns around it and put a little cap across it. and I'll make me a... Yeah. Make It'd be very cap. lightweight and... Uh, That'd probably be the way to go. I'm just not sure what length to cut the 10 meters at. Uh, Eight feet, seven inches. Yeah. Would uh, probably be the ideal length. Yeah, and then the trap. So it's it's hard to really test it physically, you know. I mean, it just... Well, you'd have to... Uh, I, need a, I, need a, I need a big bucket truck here is what I need. 
Well, what you could do is um, put them horizontal, about yeah. three or four feet off the ground. Yeah. And uh, have one transmitting into a regular dipole, and then put the trap dipole one on a on a yeah. uh, on the same time slot, but at slightly different frequencies, so they don't interfere with each other. And then look at the signal level comparisons you're getting off of whispernet.org. In fact, there's a guy, a company that makes a product that is supposed to test your antennas based on that principle. Well, uh, I, I tell you, name of it. people listening probably are going to get some bad advice from me, but I have found over the years, I have not been real accurate cutting my antenna. And I know you have a link that you want for 20, and I talked to, like, Michael in the, I talked to Michael over in uh, Sweden there, and his is a foot shorter. He said, that's the best one, a foot shorter, and you go a foot longer. So hey, I just kind of rip it out there. I got I got some tape on my workbench here. It's three feet, six, nine, 12, 15 feet. There's two more, you know, 17 clip. You know, so I don't. So you've been running about 17 feet on 20 meters? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I think what is it, 17? Uh, yeah, 17 on each leg. Yeah, I've been running 17 feet one inch. Well, yeah, that, I think that's what I was running. I think 201 inches, I think, something like that. Uh, 205. 205, yeah, 205. Okay. So well, I, I think I cut good. it back. I just wanted to see what Michaels was going to do, and I think I cut five inches off each, each leg this last time, went back to 200 each. I don't know. You know, it's hard it, It's hard to compare them, Bill. What did, what did you use for... Um, the Antarctic flights, what length? Um, I don't remember. Probably uh, pretty standard. I probably used. Well, I tell you what, I think I I think I used the two hundred inches on each each leg. Two hundred. Okay. Yeah, I think I used two hundred. Well, you know, well, you know um, I kind of figured it would be between ground level. Uh, formula and free space formula and uh, so there's a free space formula which is uh, well the ground formula as you know is 468 divided by the frequency in megahertz for uh, right. a half wave dipole and so uh, I and free space Free space is 492 divided by uh, well you know on that using so that formula 482 Using that formula for free space, where do you consider free free space starting at a hundred thousand feet, at two hundred thousand feet, five hundred? Space. Yeah, I mean, where do you? Yeah, a space. I yeah. think you should. Yeah. So, so you if you're talking space, if you're talking, yeah, if you're talking space now, you're talking way out there, and you know, uh, and to me, then that would sound like at forty thousand feet, you'd you'd almost have. An Earth type. Well, I biased it closer you know, to free space than I did ground. Because I, uh, I think it's going to be. I think these are a lot closer to ground than they are to free space. That's the reason I was asking. Where is free space? How many feet or miles? You know. Uh, in free space, it would actually be longer. It would be seventeen feet, yeah. uh, five inches. Yeah. So, I don't know. I would just think that 
at 40,000 feet, you would be closer to the Earth calculation than you would be through space. But That's why I pretty much put it right in the middle. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, even know if the middle, be, I don't even know if the middle is the right place, man. I'm still trying to figure out where is space, you know? Well, you could uh, develop a little SWR bridge that you could measure on oh. your microcontroller, and that'd be a good experiment. Hey, you talking about flying an SWR meter? Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell you, you know, uh, I'm going to talk to Michael about that because... He's looking for something new to try. So, yeah, SWR meter. And it doesn't have to handle very much power. So, right, bonus right. For a very lightweight. Uh, um, so, there you go. There's a little project for it. Yeah. Just add this little add on board to the backer. All right. Well, I've always wanted to try that. And then launch a few, yeah. uh, launch a couple of flights that are uh, one inch, you know, a couple of inches shorter each time and see where you are. Mm. Yeah. You know, with conditions. If you I mean, wanted to get real fancy, uh, you could actually, uh, with the uh, SI-5351A, uh, obviously you can change the frequency and you could do a little sweep with it. Oh, yeah, yeah, and see where the SW is the lowest. Right. Mm, That's yeah, exactly yeah. what's in a number of these SWR, uh, little small SWR bridges. They're, they're probably using an SI-5351. Yeah, that's a good, that's, the, that's, uh, that's, uh, that would be neat. The, the, that would be neat. The, you could run the 5351. Through the band, and the Arduino could kind of plot it. You know, it's the best at, you know, at this. Yeah, frequency. take a sample. You know, yeah. just do a, a little blip. Uh, yeah. By the way, uh, for those that aren't familiar with the chip we're talking about, uh, uh, it was Silicon Labs, uh, which I believe is now owned by Skyworks, uh, but it's the SI. Sierra India 5351A is the uh, synthesizer chip that's used in our trackers. It's a very tiny 10-pin it? uh, right. right um, MSOP form factor, that, that little chip that Tom's showing there. It is hand-solder. You can hand-solder it with a, a steady hand and a big magnifying glass. Yeah. But it is possible to hand-solder them. Yes, they have pretty good leads on them, but their the lead spacing is very, very tiny, very, very narrow. Uh, but uh, it's a powerful chip. Uh, you give it a reference clock, and you can adjust the frequency in very, very small subhertz uh, increments, um, which is how we're generating the whisper frequencies, which are 1.46 hertz apart. Um, which is a tiny step, but it's easily done on this chip. So that's the beauty of this chip is the, the frequency agility of it is phenomenal. And 
and that's why it's used in so many products like antenna measuring bridges and little transmitters. I'll have to look up that product that is actually uses WhisperNet signal reports. It sends uh, a transmission out and then looks at uh, what signal reports you get to measure your antenna performance. So you can switch between different antennas um, with this whisper transmitter and uh, get a great idea of just how well your antenna compares to another antenna. Yeah, I, I don't know if I put much faith in that. I mean, by the time I change an antenna out, the conditions are going to change, you know? Well, the secret here is yeah. to, um, um, if you want to do it as accurately as possible, you would have two transmitters yeah, at the same time, and two antennas yeah. in your backyard and use the same time slot and then compare the same receive stations on the other side of the country and then compare them. Yeah, I've been uh, playing with uh, measuring. You know, this, uh, this SIP351 is supposed to be a 50-ohm chip. And uh, I tried to verify that the other day. And uh, Alan's got a great video on how to measure the impedance of, of components like this. And uh, uh, there's several ways to do it. One is a very simple way. You measure the voltage output. For, you know, this thing has an internal impedance of, say, 50 ohms. So if you measure the voltage across it, you get a certain voltage. And then if you put a, a variable resistor across it, and you, load, and, yeah. you, and you turn that variable resistor down to where your voltage is one half of what it was without that pot on there. Then that value of that variable resistor is your impedance. And if you look at it on paper and draw it out, it makes perfect sense. And in fact, you can, uh, if you've got a fast enough uh, oscilloscope, you can actually measure the output power of that on a regular oscilloscope uh, by measuring the uh, the uh, the voltage peak-to-peak -peak level or RMS level. And then there's a formula that you can actually, as long as you're measuring it across the 50-ohm resistor, um, then you can get the output power. Well, and, you know, I was thinking, you know, we were talking about SWR, and I was thinking, okay, if you could just measure the output voltage and do a sweep and record all the output voltages you would see the you'd see where the impedance changed you know because the voltage is going to change you, you know so i don't know that's that's a lot to think about hmm well hey guys i ordered me another scope yesterday or no this week last week i don't know Oh no! Does that mean I have to order yet? You're gonna have to. Order. You probably already got one. You probably got a whole barn full of them. I, you know, I don't have. I ordered me a. Uh, I ordered me a Tektronics, uh, an older a Tektronics uh, uh, analog. So I wanted to play with one. So you know, I'm gonna use it and play with it and compare it with the one that, like we've got the new digital scope and. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know how accurate the one we've got is, Bill. Uh, I've been playing and trying to measure, like, peak-to-peak -peak and stuff. And I, I'm not sure if it's accurate or not. I'd like to take the tech chunks and put them side-by-side side and just, you know, 
do a little comparison. Mm-hmm. The, the, the scope that we got is great. The auto scope's great, man. I, you know, growing up in electronics, I always hated trying to turn all those knobs on a scope and, you know, where do you put them? But, you know, the more I use it, it's actually pretty simple. If you really think about what what each knob basically does, and you don't have that many knobs to turn, actually, if you really look at it. I'm talking about on the old analog scope. On the on the new digital right. scopes that we got, you just hit the button that says auto, and it goes click 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 click, and bam, there it is, right there. You know, it 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 turns all the knobs for you. Yeah, so I it that should be delivered tomorrow. It's it's just a little hundred meg uh, two channel tectonic scope. In fact, I may get two of them. Uh, that, that one should do that uh, X Y. Yeah, it will. Yeah, they, they and all all those tectonics basically have a position for X Y or, but they may say add. I don't know. You know, it may say add or it may say X Y, but they actually have a switch on there. Uh, but uh, hey, I, I so I, I bought one. It's coming, and I start. I bid on another one, and I'm still the winner on it so far. So I don't. I may get. I may end up with two of those. Bill, so, you know, you don't have to go out and order a tech charge now just because I okay. ordered one. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll have another one. It's, it's the model 2235. Okay. I used to have, uh, what was the, can't remember, a 430? Yeah, man, they got so many of them out here. It was a very old one, but it was a great scope. I still have it. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I, I sold a scope up in Dayton uh, this year for five dollars. It was one of the big. It was like the I don't know. I saw I, that one. Did you? You uh, saw it? I don't remember what it was like. An oh, ICO, yeah. ICO or something had the big uh, five-inch round screen in it. You know. I, I had my eyes on it. Did you really? Oh man! Hey, if you told me, I'd have given it to you. But I think I took I took five dollars for it. Just I didn't want to bring it back. You know. Oh, well, I was uh, weighing over the chiropractor bill for lugging it back all the way back to the car. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it looked like it was a pretty heavy one. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, let me make a quick announcement here. We're coming down to uh, uh, our two-hour ending in our shortwave group, our shortwave transmission. You've been listening to Amateur Radio Roundtable, a show about ham radio. And uh, we're uh, ham radio operators, shortwave listeners, and so forth. And if you're out there listening on shortwave on 7490, man, we're, we're glad you uh, you tuned in with us tonight. You can hear the show every Thursday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time on um, 7490 WBCQ out of Monticello, Maine. If you want to join us, the show is live on Tuesday nights, and it's a video show. You can go to W5KUB. And you can join us there at W5KUB.com. You can watch the show there, and we also have a chat room that you can uh, uh, enter and, and actually chat with us and other people around the world that are watching the show. So uh, please please do that. Send us an email if you're out there listening. Send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Send it to Tom at W5KUB.com. Tom at W5KUB.com. And we've got about one minute to sign off and... Uh, Ooh, the storm has gone here. It sounds quiet out here, but Bill, they were dropping them in close earlier uh, tonight. Uh, I know they were pretty intense here too. Yeah. 
Hey, uh, I was looking through the chat room and uh, Brett uh, WY7BG's got a a good suggestion for making a tiny little uh, SWR bridge. Oh, um, okay. And, oh, does he really? That's the easiest way is to run a in coax. And like a RG174. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it went and had a whole heck of a lot of weight. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're gonna be some minute voltages, though, aren't they? Man, they're gonna be, they're gonna be down. Well, right? actually, uh, not not as much as you might think. It's uh... yeah. Okay. Well. The EI2 IP said he's going to listen for the balloons on Whisper, so that's good. In oh, Ireland, good. on uh, listening for it. Very good. And uh, he makes a good suggestion. EI2 IP uh, makes a suggestion that if you only have an azimuth rotor, just angle your antennas up oh, around yeah. 15 yeah. degrees, and you can work about 90% of the Leo satellites. Yeah, so that's, that, that's, uh, that's true. That's a good suggestion. That's true. In fact, on my azimuth elevation rotors out there, I, at my other home, I had a, um, you know, like uh, the uh, dual-band Comet vertical antenna, the fiberglass. I had one of those mounted on the, with the, with the, with the uh, 440 and the 2 meter. So I could tilt that, when I tilt that thing back, that that uh, dual band fiberglass antenna would tilt back. Right. And that thing would work just fine, man. You know, it would it would work great. There's a uh, Roops.io uh, uh, for the PST rotator. Yeah. And uh, are you familiar so with it, Bill? Are you familiar with the P P PST rotator deal? I am. Uh, All right, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. I know we don't have a lot of time here, but so the Sat people are sending me uh, the Sat unit. That's the satellite unit. Uh, again, I'm still in the same boat by not having uh, automatic rotors. Now, the Sat unit interfaces through a DIN plug right into the Yezu rotor, azimuth elevation rotor. So everything just plugs in and it works. But okay, that, well, that, that, uh, that, 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 that G5500 rotor is about 800 bucks. I, I have one of those. I have a 5400, which oh. is the earlier model. Okay. Uh, and it works really well. I've had it out there for almost 20 years, and it's dirty yeah. and, and holds up. Uh, I do have an issue with one of the uh, uh, position sensors on the elevation. Okay. has gone out on me. It got so, so my uh, so my elevation oh. is is one of the right. my 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 elevation rotor is one of the original Yezu. It's the Ken Pro. They Ken Pro made it, okay. and then I think uh, you, you then, then Yezu bought it. But see, it, it doesn't have plug or you know it's not you know it's just manual manual up and down. So here's right. here's my question. You, you might be able to wire that. Uh, a control unit in and then use the PST rotator software. Well, here, here's my question. Uh, the SAT people tell me that the, a lot of people are having good luck with PST ro rotor or rotator, whichever it's called. Now, 
But I look at the I look at the website and it looks like just a piece of software and it looks pretty complicated. I mean, yeah, where where would I hook my twelve wires and my rotor wires to it? I mean, I'm looking for some type of interface box. It probably goes through the DIN connector. See, I don't have a DIN connector. I don't have DIN connectors on my rotors. Well, it says uh, it can handle almost every controllable antenna rotator in common use. Well, but I so, see, and that's where I thought, well, okay, so somebody's got a little box that you hook the six, uh, what, six wires right. and six wires, and they plug into it, and, and it, it, it will interface to... And I, I know that can be done. I, I know uh, Glenn is working on, uh, you know, the Arduino uh, rotator systems that interface to the computer. Uh, but you so, can control through that DIN plug on my unit on the, the G fifty four hundred. The DIN uh, control has all the uh, position sensors and the control yeah. signals to. To control it. Uh, well, that's how right the sat. That's the how this sat works. It plugs into the yeah. DIN. It don't even. It don't even plug into the computer. Everything is self-contained. I don't know if you saw that's the. Right. I don't know if you're even familiar with this bill or saw it. Uh, let me show it to you. This is uh, this is what I'm talking about here. This this thing. You know. You don't. You don't load a program like a satellite program or anything. It all comes. Every. This thing right here. Plugs in through the uh, CIV cable right into your ICOM radio. It controls your ICOM radio. Uh, you take your laptop and you just connect to this and, and, and all the satellites and everything are there. You don't have to set up any COM ports or anything. Uh, but, but, and this has a cable that plugs into the DIN, DIN connector on the Yazy rotor, which I don't have a DIN connector. So I'm kind of looking for the solution to automate my two manual uh, rotors. Now, if I can't, I can still use this and just manually turn the antennas like I'm doing uh, with uh, with uh, SAT, with SAT PC, which is... Uh, I would say that since the DIN connector basically just taps into all the uh, signals in my rotor box, that you probably... Uh, should be able to tap into the rotor cable itself somehow. Well, and, uh, but it's got to speak the language. I'm sure it has some intelligence in there and some some uh, some data moving back and forth. It's got to have data moving back and forth, you know. To, so uh, the uh, DIN connector on my uh, G5400 is uh, basically the ah. output of the uh, analog. Position ah, sensors. Ah, okay. It's a voltage, and then uh, there's well. a FET in there to uh, on the circuit board that when you uh, activate or ground it uh, through uh, the control pins, it'll move the motors. Well, but, well. Um, you'd have to right. look at your Kenpro uh, control box and see how you'd have what you'd have to do to. Uh, to tap into the, those signals. Well, I mean, if it's that simple, I could tap into probably the uh, the azimuth rotor is the same. It's a six wire. It's got the pot in it. You know, it probably does the same thing. I mean, are very similar. It's, I would think. Uh, I, I would left, think a person right and it's yeah. and a uh, a voltage. 
yeah. which I can't remember what the voltage uh, ranged from, but I think it's like zero to five volts. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I don't remember right off the top of my head what it was. Uh, I've measured it. Uh, I actually, since my uh, uh, pot uh, went out on it, I didn't want to tear the rotor apart to replace the pot. Yeah. Uh, I have um, I have one of those uh, uh, digital, a U.S. digital mix, a, uh, an inclinometer. So I have one of those on there, and I ran some. Uh, and then it gives me an output so I can see what my elevation is. You can do the same thing on the azimuth, too. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm going to terminate the, the uh, video. Guys uh, watching out there, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, see you next week. Uh, come back and visit with us next week. Take me through to everybody out there. Let me... Uh